Hello, everyone. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the process of developing powerful habits. And since we're going to be talking about that, I want to share one of my all-time favorite quotes that touches both on excellence and on habit formation. Now, this is a quote that is oftentimes falsely attributed to Aristotle, but it actually came from an author named Will Durant who wrote a book called The Story of Philosophy back in 1926. And the quote is, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. And with that, we'll jump into today's episode. My name is David Rainey, and you are listening to The Pursuit of Mastery. All right, guys, welcome to today's episode. So last week, we discussed discipline being greater than motivation. And that was kind of a precursor to today's episode, where we're going to break down habit formation. You will notice some overlapping themes, but today we're going to do really a deep dive on how habit formation happens, how do I develop good habits, and how do I break bad habits. Now, I have read a lot of books on habit formation. I have read Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit. I've read That Now Habit. I've read High Performance Habits. I've read Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And hands down, no competition, the best book that I have read on habit formation is James Clear's Atomic Habits. And normally, whenever I'm presenting on a particular topic, I like to pull information from all sorts of different sources. But Atomic Habits is so good and so practical that I am almost going to exclusively use this book as our source material for today. So with that being said, it's important that we define our terms. So how does James Clear define a habit? He defines a habit as a routine or behavior that is performed regularly. And as Stephen Pressfield, the author of Gates of Fire and the Legend of Bagger Vance once said, the difference between an amateur and a professional is in their habits. An amateur has amateur habits. A professional has professional habits. We can never free ourselves from habit, but we can replace bad habits with good ones. And what we are interested in at the Pursuit of Mastery is helping you develop professional habits. But before we can do that, we need to understand how habits work. So last week, we discussed the habit loop. And Mel Robbins described it as a trigger, an action you repeat, and a reward. And if you've ever taken any sort of psychology class, you'll know this actually comes from a behavioral scientist from the 1930s named B.F. Skinner. And he called it a stimulus, a response, and a reward. Charles Duhigg, the author of The Power of Habit, called it Q, Routine, and Reward. And James Clear, he's added a fourth phase to it. He's put Q, Craving, Response, and Reward. And that craving is an important extra piece, which I'll break down a little later. But here's what you really need to know. You need to know that habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. And James Clear will use this beautiful example of an ice cube. And how building habits is like trying to melt an ice cube. You may be starting at 25 degrees. And as you build daily habits, you may have moved from 25 degrees to 28 degrees. And you haven't actually noticed any melting of the ice cube. That doesn't mean that you have not made progress. It's not until you reach 30, 31, 32, and then that 33rd degree that you actually see the payoff for all the hard work of the habit building that you've been doing. 
And sometimes reaching that 33rd degree may take years, but that's the price that you have to pay in order to become world class. I'll use one more example and then I'll move on. Inside of the San Antonio Spurs locker room, this great historic basketball franchise, they have a quote from a social reformer named Jacob Reese. And the quote says, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet, at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Remember, the purpose of this show, The Pursuit of Mastery, is to help people become world-class or the top 1% in their domain. So that's why the philosophy behind this is so incredibly important. The vast majority of people quit way too early. If we're going back to the example of the stonecutter and the rock, and the 101st hit is the one that breaks the rock, the vast majority of people are quitting before they even come close to that 101st strike. Some are quitting at the 20th. Some stick at it a little longer, may get to the 70th, but still haven't seen progress. And so they throw up their hands, say this is too difficult, and they also quit. They then move to a different field, repeat the same process, and then get frustrated because they've lived a lifetime of mediocrity. The only way you absolutely guarantee failure is by quitting. And the way that you guarantee success is by pushing past obstacles that the vast majority of people would have stopped at. Now that the philosophy is out of the way, let's get to the fun stuff, which is the practical application. So before we get into the four stages of the habit loop, we need to break down the difference between what James Clear calls goals and systems. So the vast majority of people, whenever they're starting a new habit, they'll have a goal. I want to lose more weight. I want to exercise more. And that's fine, but they don't have a system in place to achieve that goal. And that's why they end up seeing zero progress. And the easiest way to address this is to create what's called an implementation intention. So here's an example of what that is and an example of how powerful it can be. So in 2001, there were researchers from Great Britain, and they began working with 248 people with the goal of trying to create better exercise habits. And in this experiment, there was a control group that was just asked to track their exercise habits. The second group was the motivation group, which was asked to do the same thing, but also read motivational material on the benefits of exercise. And the third group was the implementation intention group. And they were just asked to write this sentence. During the next week, I will partake in at least 20 minutes of vigorous exercise on blank day at blank time in blank place. And the findings of this was awesome. In the first and second groups, 35 to 38% of people exercised. And if you notice, there was actually no real difference between the control group and the motivation group. But when they looked at the implementation intention group, 91% of that group exercised at least once per week. This was a massive improvement. So why did this work? Why was this so effective? When we go back to goals versus systems, goals are the results that you want to achieve. Systems are about the process that lead to those results. The vast majority of people will have the goal of exercise. The system is what actually helps you achieve it. So the system could be, hey, after work, I'm going to have my duffel bag in my vehicle with my workout clothes, and I'm going to go straight from work to the gym. 
And that level of specificity makes it far more likely that you will actually follow through than some vague goal. Now that that's been covered, let's go ahead and jump into the four stages of the habit loop and how by understanding these four stages, you can create systems that will make you become more likely to develop the habits that you're trying to instill. So the first stage of the habit loop is cues or triggers. You'll hear me use those words interchangeably. And Carl Jung has a quote that says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And this is really just about being self-aware about the why behind why you are doing something. An easy modern example of this is you're bored or you're in an uncomfortable social situation. And so what do you naturally do? You pull out the phone. That's what everyone is doing in the situation like that. And instead of dealing with feelings of boredom or being uncomfortable, you bury yourself inside the phone. And that's the habit that you've created in response to those feelings. So once you've identified the why behind a behavior pattern, there's two main ways to then use these cues or triggers to your advantage. Number one, we already mentioned, which was the implementation intention plan. The other one is what's called habit stacking. And the reason habit stacking is so effective is because basically what you're doing is you're pairing a new habit with a current habit that you already do. So an example of this is most people already have a morning routine. You wake up, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, you may make breakfast. And all you're doing is adding one more habit to the end of that list because the brain loves repetition. So if you can get in the habit of after I'm done cleaning breakfast, let's say you hate checking emails. So now instead of doing whatever you typically do whenever you're done eating breakfast, you go straight to your laptop, you open it up, and you check emails, and you can go ahead and mark that off. And given enough time, that will be such a part of your daily routine that you will feel odd whenever you stop doing it. Which leads us to the second step of the habit loop, which is craving. And here's how craving works. So scientists can actually track the precise moment that a craving occurs by measuring a neurotransmitter called dopamine. And dopamine is critical for lots of things, but in this context, we're going to focus on its importance with motivation. So dopamine spikes when you get a reward. So let's say the first time you get a reward, you weren't aware of the cue, the craving, or the response. You just notice you get a reward. And so dopamine spikes in that scenario. So the next time you make a mental note of that and you know, okay, this cue, let me receive this reward. So the next time you experience the cue, dopamine spikes then and gets a smaller spike whenever you get a reward. And then moving forward, if you experience the cue again, dopamine will spike at the cue. Let's say you don't experience the reward, dopamine will actually drop significantly unless you end up at a later time getting the reward, and then dopamine will skyrocket again significantly higher than if it just would have been Q and reward. And that Q creating that dopamine spike is what then creates the feelings of craving. So how do you use this information to your advantage? You create scenarios where you can get that Q and dopamine spike, which motivates you through craving to then receive a reward. So one salesman, what he would do is every time he would make a sales call, he would have a jar full of marbles, and he would move one marble from one jar to the other. And I know that sounds like a silly, stupid thing, but dopamine is released whenever you actually are able to mark off tasks, whenever you see progress. So by doing a sales call, moving the marble from one jar to another that actually created a little dopamine release and allowed him to become more motivated to continue to do sales calls. 
And now that we understand how craving works, that leads us to the third step of the habit loop, which is response. Or another way of saying this is the action that you take. And what you want to do in this scenario is remove as much friction as possible. So last week we were talking about discipline and motivation. One of the things that I didn't mention that because I wanted to save it for this episode is that individuals who are perceived to be more self-disciplined are actually those who have to resort to it less often. Meaning one, they've entrenched a habit so deeply that it becomes easy. And two, whenever they start to take on a new habit, they remove as much friction as possible by making it as easy and bite-sized and manageable as they can. And here's the easiest way that I know to remove this friction, to remove obstacles, and to make the habit so bite-sized that you would almost be foolish not to take action. And this is James Clear's two-minute rule. This is his most famous principle in the entire book. You may have come across it. Incredibly powerful, incredibly effective. Last week, we talked about Mel Robbins' five-second rule. This is a different take on the same thing. I kind of enjoy this principle a little bit more. So what the two-minute rule is, whenever you're starting a new habit, it should take you two minutes or less to do, meaning that you're making the habit bite size. So we'll use the workout analogy again. An easy way to use the two-minute rule for working out, what is the first two minutes that you have to accomplish in order to begin working out? Well, you need to change into your workout clothes, you need to put on your running shoes, and go get in your vehicle and start driving to the gym. That's it. That's the habit. And you'll find if you do the first two minutes of whatever habit it is that you're actually trying to do, you'll find yourself far more likely to actually follow through. And James Clear actually uses Twyla Tharp as an example of this. So Twyla Tharp is widely considered one of the greatest dancers of all time. And she had this morning routine. And she actually ended up writing about it. She says, I begin each day of my life with a ritual. I wake up at 5.30 a.m., put on my workout clothes, my leg warmers, my sweatshirt, and my hat. I walk outside my Manhattan home, hail a taxi, and tell the driver to take me to the Pumping Iron Gym at 91st Street and 1st Avenue, where I work out for two hours. And here's the important piece. The ritual is not the stretching and the weight training I put my body through each morning at the gym. The ritual is the cab. The moment I tell the driver where to go, I have completed the ritual. She understood that mentally, to tell yourself, oh, I'm going to be at the gym for these next two hours, I'm going to do this, this, and this, it's going to take forever, it's going to be painful, it's going to be frustrating. It is easier mentally to do the first two minutes of the habit, which for her was getting dressed and telling the cab where to go. Once she had reached that stage, she was already committed. She was going to go work out. There was no turning back for her. I'm actually working with a client who has to do several presentations for their job, and they don't necessarily like that function of their job, but they have loved the two-minute rule. Because now, instead of focusing on the grueling task of creating a new presentation, they are now focusing on the first two minutes of that process, which is opening up their laptop, opening up PowerPoint, and then my advice to them is to then create a bad version of the presentation. Because once you start, once again, you actually end up usually doing pretty good work, and then you can go back and refine. And that's what he's done, and he's found himself to be significantly more efficient and because he's spending more time on it earlier on, he's actually creating a better end product as far as his presentation goes. And this leads us to the fourth and final step of the habit loop, which is reward. And this is really super simple. 
we are more likely to repeat a behavior when the experience is satisfying. So it's important that whenever you're doing difficult things to reward yourself. An easy example of this is you've been working a sales job and you've progressively gotten better over time through practice and repetition and now you're doing really well financially. You're closing all sorts of different deals. But if you end up putting in all that time and effort and never reward yourself, you actually end up losing motivation. So the simple solution to that is as you hit different sales milestones, you reward yourself with something that is directly proportional to the milestone that you hit. And that's it. That's the four steps to the habit loop. Cue, craving, response, and reward. And to quickly recap, I'll also go through the strategies that you use for each. So whenever there's a cue, it's important to create an implementation intention plan, which is just saying, I will do X activity at X time at X place. Okay. And then also doing some habit stacking, which is whenever you have a current habit, adding another habit on top of that because the brain loves repetition. And then once you reach the craving portion of the habit loop, take advantage of the way dopamine works and make whatever activity you're doing more attractive because the more attractive that you make it, the bigger spike in dopamine that you get. And the bigger spike in dopamine that you get, the more likely you are to feel motivated. And then in the third step of the habit loop, utilize James Clear's two-minute rule, which is simply whatever habits that you're trying to instill, just focus on the first two minutes of the habit instead of the entirety of what you need to accomplish, which then closes out with the fourth step of the habit loop, which is reward or make it satisfying. And with that, I'll finish this off with a quote from author Brian Tracy, who says, successful people are simply those with successful habits. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Once again, I want to reiterate that almost all the material today came from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. It is a book that if you have not read, I highly, highly recommend picking it up. I try to make these podcasts as short and bite-sized as possible. There's a lot of information that I left out that I think would be incredibly useful for you guys. So if you get a chance, definitely check it out. And you've listened to enough podcasts to know how this goes at this point. The way this information spreads is by leaving positive reviews and sharing the material. So if you enjoyed what we're learning, please feel free, share, leave a review. That'll be greatly helpful in helping this podcast grow and reach new people. Guys, my name's David Rainey. I'm an executive coach and leadership consultant. And as always, if you want to learn more about our organization and how we can help you, you can go to syzygy.global. That's S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y.global. This has been The Pursuit of Mastery, and I will see you guys on the next episode.